So thank you for attending the Mic Drop Market Spaces today. This Spaces is brought to you by MentorQ. Discover how MentorQ is revolutionizing the way option traders trade and risk manage via alternate options data. Are you an options trader looking to get ahead of the market? MentorQ is here to transform your trading experience with our innovative alternative data and option trading models. MentorQ Solutions offers gamma and volatility levels on stocks, ETFs, futures, and crypto, cutting edge predictive models for options trading, expert insights and analysis for informed decision-making, and a community of over 15,000 professional traders. You can find them at mentorq.com, and that's M-E-N-T-H-O-R-Q.com, or at their Twitter account, X account, Mentor, uh, Mentor Q Pro. Um, and you can use the promo code SHY20, C-H-I-20, for a 20% percent discount on any monthly or yearly subscription and i will put that in the nest uh, so you can uh, click on that and just a reminder before we begin this material is presented solely for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not to be construed as a recommendation solicitation or an offer to buy or sell long or short any securities commodities or any related financial instruments as always please contact a licensed professional before making any investment or trading decisions and with that we will introduce our guest we have Marin Katsua. Uh, Marin is a Canadian investor, author, hedge fund manager, and the founder and chairman of Katsua Research. He is a contrarian and value investor specializing in the resource sector. Starting from scratch, Marin has built a large personal fortune all through his ability to find great investments. During his career, he sat on the board of public companies, and arranged over $1 billion in financing and written a New York Times bestselling book, The Colder War. Marin's insight has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, Bloomberg, CM and CNBC. He's traveled over 1 million air miles, visiting over 500 resource projects and more than 100 companies. Uh, countries. Sorry. Uh, next, we have Francis McDonald, a new time. Um, he is CEO and director of Lift Power. Uh, Lift is a mineral exploration company engaged in the acquisition, exploration, and development of lithium projects located in Canada. Mr. McDonald has 15 years of experience in the mining industry and is an exploration geologist. He co-founded Kennerland Minerals, a North America-focused company generating greenfield exploration opportunities across different commodities. And prior to 2016, Mr. McDonald worked with Newmont Mining, doing greenfield exploration work in Newmont, Nunavut, West Africa, and East Africa. And I know I didn't pronounce that right. And with that, thank you, gentlemen. Very excited to have you today, especially talking about this highly contentious uh, metal that uh, has seen some huge moves over the last year and a couple months or so. So we'll begin how we do this is in a round. And we'll uh, have questions for each of you. We'll do two rounds and then the final round. And of course, if you have any comments on the other person's comments, please feel free to do so as we can make this as conversational as you want it to be. 
And with that, we'll start with Marion. We're just going to dive right in. So lithium prices have crashed from November, November 2022 highs. We had ALB just laid off 300 people. And Australia state governments are considering incentives, including production tax credits uh, for relief in the industry due to the slumping battery market. So first, can you just give us some background and some insight on what is going on in this market? Sure. So you look at the volatility of the commodity, it makes uh, the uraniums look uh, like a stable uh, bond market. But um, what, what's happened globally is all of the processing, you look at where China over the last two decades has dominated. So China's pushed a cut to kill strategy. Uh, it used to be SQM and Albemarle, the big two in the West. But what's happened is they've they've gone for the lower cost, cheaper processing, which China, by the way, has facilitated government subsidies to build out the infrastructure for all this. And it's not just America that depends on the imports from China. It's also Japan and Europe. So if you look at traditionally where the low cost production was, you know, if you look at the lithium triangle of Chile, Argentina, Bolivia, all that production would have to go to China to be processed. Now, you mentioned Australia. What's really interesting about Australia also is the billionaire tycoons such as Gina Reinhardt, the ones who've made billions from the iron ore industry, figured out the game that, hey, we, the Australians, we, the small independents, can actually beat out the big companies in the iron ore game. It was Rio Tinto and BHP. And now they're doing the same thing in the lithium space. They're actually using the regulatory setup of Australia where you need 75% of the shares to be able to take a company over, whereas Gina Reinhardt has been, you know, throwing her financial muscle around and knocking out the majors by building only a 19% ownership and basically blocking any of these takeover targets. And what's key about that is it's about control and destiny of the resources. So um, the cut to kill strategy that China's done, the metal's down a little over 80% from its highs. Now imagine if gold or copper went down 80%, what people would be doing. But this is not the first time that it's happened in this sector. So what China's doing, it's, it's a very clear strategy. They don't want the West to start developing the polishing plants and the refining uh, facilities required, whether it's in spodumene or in salars or in the sands or in the hard rocks to prevent the reliance on the Chinese infrastructure. So what do they do? They smash the price down and that prevents any of the development. And that's where Australia is trying to move forward, but it's a double issue in, 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 in Australia. You also have you know, the battle for control of the resources between the independents and the majors, and then also the long-term permitting and funding of these facilities because they're very expensive. Then you got the situation in the US and, you know, I look at this as an incredible setup. Uh, it reminds me exactly when I was, you know, funding the largest funder in the world for uranium in 2018 and 2019. This is an incredible contrarian setup where you now have companies that have spent hundreds of millions of dollars and you can get in at their all-time lows or, in fact, 50% discount to where the insiders and the management have paid for their own stock. So is lithium going away? No, I do not believe it is. Uh, China is going to continue this cut to kill strategy. And then when you see it ratchet up, it, it's happened before. 
Um, will lithium be at these low prices in two to three years? I highly doubt it because the cure for low prices is low prices. Like you mentioned, Albemarle just laid off 300 people and it'll continue to do that. Um, and because of the pricing, it's just not economic. Um, so hopefully that answered your question. Absolutely. And so what is kind of the current state of supply and demand in this market right now? And how do you see that evolving in the near future, um, particularly as it concerns to, you know, EV demand? So, it, it, look, it's, it's not just EV demand. But that's a huge portion of it. Uh, if you look at the battery storage capacity, you look at where the, you know, Ford just said, hey, we're out of the, the EVs for the time being. So the market has taken a very negative view. It's also the cost of capital for the miners. And it's, you know, the the mining companies and the, the exploration and development companies are very different than what's going on in the actual supply and demand in the refinery. If you listen to and go through Tesla stuff, they're continuing to move forward with, uh, with, with the lithium. You look at Panasonic, you look at all the Japanese manufacturers, it's the same thing, but they have not developed the infrastructure for the refining, they'd still rely on China. And Japan's come out and said, we are gonna start doing this also. What I see is, you know, part of the infrastructure plan, and really it doesn't matter who wins the election, whether it's Republicans or Democrats in the US later this year, they're going to bring a, we have to develop our own resources because the companies such as Tesla need a stable, secure, long-term supply of this domestically, not to be held hostage by the Chinese. Well, absolutely. And I think we're seeing that in a bunch of other metals as well here in North America, as far as mining is concerned. Uranium is the perfect example. Everyone's jumping up and down. The most requested uh, question I get in my inbox from subscribers, what's your next uranium stock? And I tell everyone this lithium story. Um, everybody wants uranium because the price went, when I first started publishing on this in 2018 at $18 a pound, it's about a hundred and change today, maybe a hundred, 102 depending on the spot. Um, and it's had a great run. And that's exactly the, the setup that you'd see a geopolitical uh, metal. Lithium would be exactly in that strategic geopolitical weapon where you can see, look at in 2021 and 2022, the incredible rise in the LCE price and spodumene price and lithium pricing. And that was all uh, from the 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 market waking up and going, holy crap, we need to get into this. So it's not just the battery makers. It's not just the EV guys. You see big energy companies like Exxon setting aside $10 billion for North American projects. You look at the big major, uh, major mining companies. One of the world's largest mining companies just opened up a strategic, uh, um, strategic metals division because of one of my reports, they contacted me, I won't mention the name, but it's a very major name that all of us here would know. And they want to get into the North American. This is a major miner who's built billions, tens of billions of dollars of free cash flow based off the emerging markets. And they're seeing this strategy of, uh-oh, Argentina's making come up. any new projects as a 50-50 with uh, Chile. Argentina, still that Solars has, you know, it's such elevation, it's a huge environmental footprint, and you still need to send your, your product to China to get processed. So the majors are looking at this, and it's not just 
the EV and battery makers. I cannot emphasize this enough. You have major oil companies, you have major mining companies, and they're all looking to get long-term, big, legitimate, high-grade generational deposits with infrastructure that they can put into production within, say, five to 10 years to be able to build the infrastructure with a polishing plant for the North American demand. And you see the Japanese also getting into this game also. So that's a trend you're going to see more of it. And then as far as you brought that up, I want to talk a little bit about how, you know, government policies and regulations have changed in North America uh, and impacted you know, not only mining, but the lithium markets and what changes might we expect in the future? As we know, um, permitting has been kind of a, a huge problem. Oh, look, the government's always dragging their feet. The government's always uh, the last, you know, uh, division of this puzzle to pick up their game. But they're going, they're getting there. And what you don't want to do, Tracy, is get into an area that has never been developed before. You want infrastructure you want to be in a region where you can actually that the the community wants you i cannot emphasize enough how important where you are and the infrastructure and the people how important it is and and what i'm excited about this project is you look at it's mining country uh, these big generational diamond mines are shutting down and and the people the main employment isn't government it's not tourism it's not the tech sector it's mining and they're all looking for what is the next setup now everybody wants to go green in the government but they're starting to figure out that okay how do we get there how do we get these metals how do we build the infrastructure for this and as you get moving for that these big mining companies are going to have to be the leaders and whether you're an Exxon or you're a BHP Rio Tinto looking to get into the sector, you're going to have to negate, say, your coal production or your iron ore footprint with going to the government saying, hey, we're going to work on green development assets that are going to decrease. So if you're, for example, in the Canadian oil sands, that's a very heavy footprint. Well, now you can negate it. And it's the same permitting process and facility and saying, hey, we're going to get into these strategic metals. We know how to do this. And it's giving something back to the government and saying, hey, now the government can say we're developing green initiatives, green metals that are going to reduce the footprint. That's what you're going to see is a transition of many of these, say, an Exxon, who's a you know major oil producer globally, getting into the lithium game to say, hey, we're also in decarbonizing our footprint. And now that S1, S2, and S3s have to be published, this is something that the companies are going to be uh, expanding. But again, it's a profit-oriented basis. They want to go into jurisdictions that they have title, they have rule of law, infrastructure in place, and they can make money from it. Absolutely makes sense. And we will turn to Francis now. And first, I want to ask kind of a broad based questions. Um, you know, in your opinion, what are the key factors driving the current demand for lithium? And how do you see this demand evolving kind of in the coming years? Sure. So I think the demand for lithium is obviously driven by energy storage solutions. And like Marin said, it's it's a lot of EVs, but also for bigger storage as well. And I think this is what's going to be driving it. And there's always going to be short-term aberrations in the 
demand cycles. You know, demand will go up. We'll see prices skyrocket. Demand will slightly decrease. But in this environment right now, there's a lot of negative sentiment. But what's really driving demand in this case is China. And the EV numbers coming out of China are are incredible. It's still 20 to 30 percent compound annual growth, um, even in the last year. So I think this is the long term trajectory, and that is going to be what's driving the lithium markets for the foreseeable future. And I think, you know, it's 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 hard to argue that we're not going down this route. It's just a matter of time until uh, we we really do start you know, seeing a, a big phase out internal combustion engines. And I just want to follow up on one point that Marin mentioned on the cut to kill strategy. We we talked about the Albemarle press release. They laid off 300 people. And one thing they also said in that is that they're going to delay a lithium refinery that they have been planning in South Carolina. And so this is exactly what we're talking about is we're seeing these delays. This is an American company that was going to build an American lithium refinery, and now they've delayed this because of this cut-to-kill strategy that China is employing. And how do you see now? Let's like move just to the actual mining sector. So, how do you see the competitive landscape in the mining lithium mining sector right now? What do you think are the main challenges and opportunities for companies operating in the space? I think the the biggest challenge, which can also be an opportunity, depending on how you look at it, is the volatility that we've seen in the pricing. And to deal with that volatility as a mining company, what you look for is a big, long life deposit that's going to be operating through multiple cycles and that will still be profitable in the downturns. And so that's, I think, what you need to look for. I think. The people that are most leveraged to lithium prices and volatility are smaller deposits that might have a short mine life and you need to get the timing right. And as a mining company, that's what you look for. And I think that it's it's easy to see for, for Lyft in our project in Yellowknife that, that this is what we that we're building towards. And also, uh, how do you think the mine, the lithium mining industry is addressing uh, the issue of supply chain disruptions, geopolitical risks, and kind of what strategies is your company or our company or any company kind of implementing to ensure a stable and reliable supply of lithium? I think we're seeing it from the end users and, and the offtake agreements that they're signing. And an example of this would be GM signed a 100% offtake agreement with Lithium Americas. And obviously there's a strategy there. They're looking to secure North American supply. And I think that this is going to be a, a theme going forward because as we've talked about, any of these issues in the geopolitical landscape could completely disrupt the lithium supply chain. And just on another note, so we are looking for spodumene. This is a hard rock lithium deposit. And when I say that, it's basically like a, a vein of granite that has a lithium bearing mineral. And that's what we're making these lithium chemicals for batteries out of. And these deposits are all over the world. They have a, a very broad range in terms of geographies. But for this type of deposit right now, 97% of the processing is done by Chinese lithium refineries. 
And it all goes back to this. This is it's it's just back to very simple economics and people when they have a stranglehold on the market, they really try to kick people out and not and and keep that stranglehold. So from a mining company's perspective, you really want to be securing uh, domestic supply, at least in North America, and then also looking to try and build these these lithium refineries so that we have an internal supply chain. And that was what I was going to ask. Are we seeing build out of, say, processing in North America? We have been. And, and, you know, like I was saying with Albemarle, they were planning to build a big refinery in South Carolina. And now we're seeing that delayed. Tesla is building a refinery in Corpus Christi in Texas. And so I think that's still ongoing. And obviously, Tesla has a huge vested interest in this because BYD is catching up. They're making cheaper cars. And this could be a huge risk to Tesla if they're completely reliant on China uh, in a unstable geopolitical environment. And then how do you think recent developments in lithium extraction technologies such as DLE will impact the industry? And what are the main advantages and disadvantages of some of these newer technologies? Sure. So DLE, when we talk about DLE, this is direct lithium extraction. And this is removing lithium from a brine. And so you have lithium dissolved in water, you're pumping the water out of the hole, and then you're running some chemical processes on it to take the lithium out. So this is, this is a great way to extract lithium, uh, but the technology really hasn't been proven out yet. And we're probably, you know, we're a decade out probably, and that's even if we get that, that uh, technology right. And from a DLE perspective, there's a lot of things that you can get out of the brine with the lithium. So it's, it's quite a complicated chemical process. And the other thing is that it's not a one size fits all. And this is a chemical process that has to be developed for each individual deposit. And it's going to take a while before it's, uh, it's really going to affect the, uh, the supply side. I'd, I'd add also, Francis, that not only is it still early days, I'd call it, you know, the fracking and the before George Mitchell really started cracking the code on it. Um, it's huge amounts of power required, Tracy, for these unconventional lithium projects. So if you look at the amount of power you need to pump up the brines, then you have to heat the brines. So if you're looking at, you know, an even smaller project, that's 30, 40 megawatts of power. And most of these projects are not in an area where you can have a solar farm or, or a wind farm or even close to infrastructure. So you're going to be basically using natural gas. Um, so that, you know, in right now, there's a proposal in, in certain parts of the world where if you're going to do that, you, you have to have non-fossil fuel generation of, of um, power generation. So then you have to heat the crap out of these brines because it's a chemical process to separate the magnesium from the lithium and deal with the cations and anions of the metallurgical chemical process. Then you got to pump those brines back down, which is a huge amount of power again. So it, not only is the science of it not quite, you know, uh, I compare it to a laterite uh, nickel deposit where it changes throughout the deposit. Francis is 100% right that every reservoir of that brine is unique to itself 
but the capital costs of that, Tracy, is in the billions and billions. So you have to have a really interesting angle. You know, if you had a geothermal plant that has processing the brines, that's a different story, but that's very unique in itself. So, uh, you know, and, and another thing is cost of capital, Tracy, is so unique. And this is what I've seen in the uranium game and the copper game 15 years ago is which projects are able to be funded to get to the end zone. And, you know, who are the backers? And these are so key, you know, from a miners and developers, it's great to have a strategy, but if you're not funded and you don't have the ability and the political uh, permits in place, if you're waiting for your permits to drill for a year and you miss that window of financing, you're screwed. So the supply chain issues from a you know, from the Tesla, there's no doubt this is an Achilles heel. When they build that plant, they want to secure a multi-decade long-term stable supply. So that's key. Just like in the when the refineries were being built back in, in, in the in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, they wanted to secure the type of oil coming in for a specific refinery, right? Not all oil is the same, not all lithium is the same. So when they start building the details of these polishing plants and, and the specific processing facilities, they want to be able to fine tune it such that they have the right feed for the long-term supply of, of their battery grade lithium. Excellent, thank you. And then um, I guess Francis, you know, what are you finding, you know, ESG is kind of fading in the background, but still all the rage. So, you know, what measures are being taken by the industry to kind of mitigate these concerns, particularly as far as the government is concerned? Um, I would say, you know, ESG is fading, but it's it's it has to be at the forefront because when we talk about this, it's really about engaging with local stakeholders and making sure that people feel like it's a win for their communities and themselves. And I think as an industry, we have to do a better job of this. And I think in the last, let's call it decade or two decades, I think we have been doing a better job. And in terms of governments, um, you know, the regulatory environment in Canada and the U.S. is complicated and this is something that we just have to navigate as exploration or mining companies or development companies and that's kind of one of the things that I think that government could be helping with and if we are going to build this North American supply we have to be globally competitive in terms of getting these projects into production and the permitting is really the bottleneck to this and so we we're constantly talking with government officials at the territorial or or federal level and really just kind of showing people the timelines and and canada has a critical mineral strategy and what we're saying to them is look we have the critical minerals you know help us out and i think there is a awareness at all government levels that you know there needs to be a push from them and so far it's 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 been good and but it'll be great to see if canada can deliver on this critical mineral strategy and get new deposits and supply into the supply chain another thing tracy that i would add that the governments have been very vocal both in europe in the us and in canada uh, japan also by the way um people forget that 
the Chinese uh, investment into SQM, which is the world's largest producer of lithium, is so large that they now have a controlling interest. Now, SQM is the Chilean producer, and Ford and Toyota are no longer eligible for the credits because they get their supply agreement from SQM, which is ineligible for credits on their EVs. So Tesla, as they're reducing their cost per car of 25%, like uh, that's that's public, um, they still will get credits because what the brilliance of what Tesla is doing is they're not going with a long-term supply agreement with SQM, which is a huge footprint for the Solars. Tracy, these are 30 by 30 miles uh, think about that, like the, the huge footprint to dry these brines, just a natural evaporation, huge environmental destruction going on in, in Bolivia and, and Chile and Argentina on these. So the governments are trying to make it harder, but it's controlled by the Chinese and they want to make sure that all that processing feed goes back to China so they can have that geopolitical weapon against Europe and, and, and North America and uh, both companies and the politics. But Tesla and moving forward, any of the battery or utility scale uh, storage is going to get the environmental credits, environmental attributes, which is no secret, helps survive Tesla build what it was today. Uh, and that's a change that many people aren't talking about. So to continue that government incentive, you're going to have to prove that you're getting a environmentally sound. Now, ESG may be turning, but the E part is going to be magnified moving forward. So how do you, Marin, how do you think that we can sort of uh, take some of this market share away from China, particularly as it comes to processing? It, it takes a long time. Okay, look what happened in the uranium game. In my first book, I had a chapter about what would happen and it played out. In my second book, I also had a chapter on it. And now we're just seeing it play out. The governments are always late to react and they need the companies to be able to go. That's exactly the process that will happen with lithium. Uh, the difference here is it's going to be led by, you know, the Teslas and the Exxons of the world who are going to require those environmental uh, attributes, you know, whether you want to call it carbon offsets or whatever the government term in the future will be used. Because when a Ford and Toyota don't get that uh, tax incentive because they're getting their lithium from SQM, which is Chinese controlled, Chinese processed, and Tesla is, that will also move it forward. So you're going to see um, Exxon is having the strategy, the same thing. So with their refineries and their footprint, they're going to be able to get a credit for their lithium that will help their balance sheet. It always comes down to the corporations will have to be the leaders. It's going to take time, but you want to invest in these big, big deposits in North America. And can you and I change anything? No, but you just want to make as much money as you can from this process. And, and in a few years, we'll be sitting there exactly like we were in the uranium setup. Uh, I, I think this is even better because there's fewer projects uh, that are meeting the criteria of that big, high grade at surface with infrastructure that the big companies like an Exxon or any of the big mining companies who are openly stating we're getting into this game. And then turning more to um, the technology side of the things, you know, how do you think the development of new tech? 
technologies such as like solid state batteries are going to affect this market? I think, look, there's always going to be the Murphy's Law. Things will get more efficient, uh, but ultimately it's just like copper. Uh, you know, people talked about this in 15 years ago in copper that they'll require less copper as you get EVs require two to three times more copper. And as we get into, you know, more of a uh, battery reliant world or a green world or an EV transition, not just, you know, EV cars, but you look at um, utility scale storage for the batteries that is a transition it's going to require even more lithium and am i betting on technologies no i keep it so simple that you want to provide the feed that everyone else will need for for generations moving forward so i look at it just like as the copper game look for the big deposits that are easy to mine in politically stable jurisdictions how the industry evolves will naturally evolve, but you want to be the owner of that big resource that they all need. And then, I'll just jump in there just yeah, for a yeah, second. Go ahead. And, and just on the uh, on the technology part, so going to solid state batteries is actually going to require more lithium. And when you have a solid state battery, you're taking the electrolyte out. And so that allows you to put more lithium metal in the battery and it will increase the range of the EVs, which is what a lot of people still have anxiety about. And, you know, if if we, we solve that, and I think we're fairly close to it, it's actually going to be very positive for lithium demand. And how do you feel about, uh, you know, how do you think that recycling, because everybody's talking about recycling metals right now, will... How big of a role do you think this is going to play in the lithium market and impact overall supply supply and di demand dynamics? I'll jump in on that one. So in order to have a meaningful supply from lithium batteries, we need to get the batteries rolled out first. And we're still in that stage. So there's not enough spent batteries in order for recycling to be very meaningful at this point so you know we're we're a decade out probably and recycling is is usually more expensive than actually mining the material out of the ground and so you know i don't think for the next decade that it's it's necessarily going to play a huge role at this point well that's good to know um <laughs> Um, and how do you think the, uh, or, or, let me say, how, how do you think the lithium mining industry is addressing the issue of price volatility and what measures are being taken to ensure stable and sustainable pricing environment for this particular market? Is there anything that particularly the mining industry is trying to address as far as addressing the issue of price volatility, in other words? Um, so I guess, you know, like I was saying before, you can address the volatility issue by making sure that your costs are competitive, even in the down markets. And to give an idea of this right now, spodumene, like we've been talking about, it's it's come down 80% from its highs last year and trading at about $950 US a ton. And there's a lot of, there's spodumene mines out there that are producing at, at $600 a ton in terms of cash costs. So 
that that kind of price environment, it's not going to incentivize anybody to build new mines. But if you have an existing mine that has a long mine life and it's got a big operation that you're doing things at scale, that allows you to ride out a lot of this price volatility. And it's it allows you to ride out the downturn, but then obviously on the upturn, like Marin was saying, I mean, lithium absolutely rips in these cycles. And we went from, you know, right now we're at about $1,000 a ton and it was trading at $8,000 a ton last year. So imagine gold went from $2,000 an ounce to $16,000 an ounce. I mean, everybody would just be raking money in. And so, again, to address that volatility issue, have big, long-life, high-grade deposits that are in the lower part of the cost curve. And obviously, to do that, you need to have infrastructure to be moving a product around. And then, Marin, what are you looking for specifically when you are looking to invest in these kind of companies, uh, bringing that up? as we are discussing the issue of price volatility and mining companies being able to sort of ride the wave of that. So what specifically would you be looking at in when you are investing in these types of companies in this kind of environment? For sure. So the first thing is the people. Do they know what the hell they're doing and do I trust them? Right. Because this game is very capital intensive. Number two, does the deposit have the characteristics to attract what is required to get it to the end zone, meaning the financing required. Again, I cannot underemphasize how many incredible deposits, you know, if they're owned by average people, it'll be screwed. You truly need an exceptional team that know what they're doing. Then, you know, God may have created these resources, but the devil took it and spread it around. So is it in a political jurisdiction that I can actually see my dollars uh, get to the end zone? Is it in somewhere like a Chile where they're going to change the rules? Why SQM, the national Chilean company, said uh, we can't even make money in Chile moving forward on any new projects. So are you in a regime where you can actually have the rule of law to get there? Then you got to look at the balance sheet and who's funding this, why I'm so excited and why I've personally put over a million dollars of my money into Lyft in the open market, not a financing or any of that in the open market, because I look at what is the cost of these guys? The insiders and the management team own 57% of the stock and they financed at over 150% of where the price is trading today. That's a good sign that I'm getting in at the cheapest price because of the volatility it is. It takes so few sellers to China just take the price down, and I like to use the volatility as my advantage. Now, does it sell newsletters? No. Does it make you on MSNBC? No. But this is how you make money. Right now, uranium sells newsletters. Uranium is what the Wall Street Journal wants my opinion on. Nobody's talking about lithium because it's down 80%. That my my spider sense says, okay, this is a good time. Then you look at the deposit grades. Grade is king and metallurgy is queen. Can you actually process this stuff? Like Francis was saying, all these other technologies, hey, they're interesting, but can you actually make it economic at a discount to its you know five-year low price for spodumene? And again, I can't emphasize enough. You don't want just a eight to 10, 12 year mine life. You want decades of mine life because when someone, just like in the uranium game, if they're going to build a big plant, they got to have 
decades worth of stable feed. That's the key here. So I look at this as a setup. You know, the, the American government funded this project after World War II when it was first discovered. It was Francis that was able to put up, you know, tens of millions of dollars of insiders and management's company to buy this deposit, to put it together. It's the first time it's ever been a district. That's key, district scale under one company. And, and I look at it as, do I really care right now that it's out of favor? That's exactly why I'm known as the alligator to buy things when they're hated cheap. And I think in a couple of years, I'll say this publicly, Tracy, I've been on the uranium stuff. Look at my track record in 12 to 18 months. I think a major will come in on lift at a significant premium to get a toehold because you don't get deposits like this. If this was a, if you just take the current price of, of Spodgerman, like 950, and you take the current price of gold, this would be close to a 15 to 20 million ounce gold deposit at surface at three to four grams per ton, which is unheard of. This would be in a bidding war. So if you just take a step back and put it into a different form of uh, economics, I believe you're going to have gold companies after this. I believe you're going to have base metal companies. I believe you're going to have energy companies in this game. So that's why I'm, those are the factors that I've quickly laid out that I'm looking for. Well, they do call it white gold, right? Um, but, uh, and so what, what is your advice to investors, not only when looking at the company, but what kind of key trends should they be keeping an eye on in this industry? I think the trends are the political. Uh, this is a strategic resource. It is apps. It, it, it's you look what Chile just did. They changed the laws on this that any new deposit is a 50 50 government take that just doubles your cost overnight to start with. Um, you look at Bolivia, you look what's going on in Argent uh, in Australia. You know, the, the big companies like Albemarle are getting knocked around by the independents like Gina Reinhardt. Um, so you, all these big companies are looking at this going, how can we get a long-term stable supply? And I think you just go to basics. Is it big? Is it simple to mine? Is there infrastructure in place? Can you permit it? And is it a multi-generational asset? Meaning, you know, right now I've done the internal numbers. I think where, uh, Francis's company Lyft is today, it's probably between 55 and 60 million tons at the current drill program that they've done and looking at it you can see this you go on google maps you can see the outcrop at surface imagine seeing the gold or copper porphyry at surface you, you don't have that anymore that's been mined out globally that's where we're at in the lithium game and i think it gets to 100 million tons and before then a major will make a major investment at a premium because that's what happens to get a foothold and investors who are able to um, be a contrarian will do well and then you sell and move on thanks and francis being on the mining side can you talk about maybe some of the new technologies that you are excited about that investors should be excited about um on the technology side i mean it's it's relatively simple for lithium mining like this has been done for quite a while and and like since the 1800s and it's in easy process and we don't necessarily need any big technological advances so there are things that obviously optimize the process there's there's optical sorting and and these 
hard rock lithium deposits are white. The host rocks that they're in are black. So you can you can optimize on the engineering side, but the process is very simple and very well understood. And this is why these deposits have been increasing in the market share for global lithium supply is that you can get them into production very easily. And you kind of want to uh, talk, walk us through a little bit about your company and uh, what what you guys are doing and what you have on the forefront. It's exciting. Sure. So Lift Power is a exploration and development company, and we're developing a hard rock lithium resource in the Northwest Territories of Canada. And we are just outside the city of Yellowknife. This is a mining town. It was producing gold for about 50 years, and then people found diamonds in the Northwest Territories, so that's all based out of there. And importantly, we're just outside the city. There's a paved highway that goes through seven of the lithium deposits that we have. And there is a railroad just to the south of the city in a town called Hay River. And this is key for these lithium deposits. Infrastructure is king because you, if you can't get the stuff out of there, then it's going to stay in the ground. And to give an idea, I mean, Marin was throwing around this 100 million ton potential. I mean, we also see this too. They stick out of the ground, so it's, it's not really arm wavy. You just project it down into the Earth's surface, and that's kind of the numbers you come out with. Um, but to give people an idea of of how much material you have to move. So it's about eight tons of ore to make a ton of spodumene concentrate, and this is the lithium-bearing mineral we ship. So if you have 100 million tons of rock, and that gives you 12 million tons of concentrate. And 12 million tons, I'm, I'm a geologist, I didn't know what that meant, and I had to do the math on this. What that ends up being is filling a football stadium about five times from the field all the way up to a big dome and I use Sky Dome or Rogers Stadium in Toronto as an example. So you're you're moving five baseball stadiums of gravel basically and if you don't have infrastructure and when I'm saying infrastructure it's really rail or a port it's going to be almost impossible to make a deposit work. And so that's what we have in Yellowknife. We've had this district that's been known about since the 1940s. Like Marin was saying, the American government was funding companies to go develop lithium resources in the 50s, and there was four American companies developing lithium resources in the Yellowknife area. And so we've kind of inherited this whole portfolio that was once thought to be one of the largest lithium resources in the Western world. And we've, we've kind of shown it to the market for the first time. And we've been out there doing some very simple exploration underneath these big white outcrops that we see at surface to define how deep they go in the earth. And that drill program has been successful. We put about $30 million in the ground last year, and we are out there drilling again now. And the plan is really to make this the biggest, one of the biggest resources in, in North America for our lithium. So that's the plan. You know, we're out doing what we said we're going to do, and we're showing that the lithium is in the ground, and it's really steady ahead. We'll, we'll come out with a resource estimate, which is going to tell the market exactly how much lithium we have. And then the next step, we'll be looking at some economics of how much it's going to cost to get it out of the ground and then get a product to market. 
And Marin, did you have anything to add to that as an investor, why you think this company is particularly interesting? Yeah, like I, I base everything on, you know, cost of capital. Uh, like Francis said, you have the OPM, as I call it, other people's money in the existing infrastructure. You know, that's hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that other people have put that you get to piggyback on rather than funding. Um, what I like about Francis's team and, and the, the project, it's funded. You know, when I first started out and I've only done two previous lithium deals and they've both been north of 10 baggers. If you play this game right and uh, wait it out, there was a fund manager, uh, it was about 16, 17 years ago that I first came across him, Tobias. At the time he was a young, you know, starting out um, and by playing the lithiums correctly, he became, I think, the number one, if not one or two uh, lithium fund managers in the world. And it doesn't get smarter than that and more successful and experienced and connected. And he's backing um, Francis and Lyft on this. So they have the balance sheet to be able to execute the plan. So a couple of years ago when this first came across my desk, I said, okay, let's watch this and see how it plays out. And they keep executing. But because of the volatility of the market, I could now get stock half price of what the best money manager in lithium in the world paid. Well, that's kind of got my spidey senses going and let's dig deeper and move forward. I'm not telling anyone here to buy it. I'm just telling you guys what I'm doing with my money. And so that's why I put up over a million into this. And, you know, are there guarantees? No, but it's there. You know, it's it, it, hundreds of millions of dollars were spent before Francis's team took this over and they were able to consolidate it. Now they're going to spend, you know, say they've already spent 30, they'll do another 30 in drilling, get it to a point of getting the resource. And then you'll see a major come in. That's my personal belief, Tracy. That's not the company saying that's me, Marin Katusa as, and, and being part of a, being able to be a survivor and successful in the resource game, you've got to be able to connect the dots to the end game of how are you going to make money in this ultimately. You don't want to be diluted out. And in this case, by having the stock 57% owned by insiders and management whose cost base is higher than what it's trading at in the market today, that is a unique situation that you know, in the uranium game that happened in 2018, 2019, when the price of uranium was, you know, 50, 60% lower than any North American can mine. And again, the price for low, uh, the cure for low prices is low prices and it'll work its way through. And, you know, that's what I see happening in the lithium space right now. Thank you. And then uh, just a broader overall question, Marion, about um, just mining in general. Do you think, you know, as investors, I mean, do you think North America is really like where it's at right now? Or, you know, do you see any other area that has as much potential? Yeah, I'm just it's a personal, one, just yeah. it, mining in general question. And, you 100%. Know. You look at what Glencore's just done. Okay, Glencore was known as going into the depths of Africa and cutting, like, I'm not going to say corrupt deals, but go look at Mark Rich, who is the founder of the original Glencore. And you look at the history of Glencore and what was their big multi-billion dollar purchase in Canada? Okay, they bought Fording Coal. You look at all of the majors trying to come in. You look at Exxon's recent announcement for lithium. It's in the U.S. 
You look at the money coming in and, and the American government is waking up because of also what's happened in the uranium space. And they're realizing we got to get into this place. Now, there's, you know, I coined the, the positive swap line nations, certain areas and jurisdictions I would stick with. But relatively speaking, look at the landmass, the mineral potential in North America, the infrastructure in place. Just like America had the fracking revolution that changed the global geopolitical and energy sector, I believe we'll have that. And look at the uranium sector. Post the Niger coup, when, when France really got screwed there, what is the number one performing uranium stock in the world? Well, it's the largest U.S. pure unhedged company that we were on last time, Tracy. That was a Mears company. So you look at what the investors want. And, and if you're going to use that as a framework of America first, they want in the back patch of politically stable long-term supply. So where I see the money going is exactly that in North America first. Uh, and it's not just the mining companies, it's the big energy companies. And also huge Japanese companies are coming in as co-investors because of their lower cost of capital to get a long-term stable offtake supply. So I see that trend to continue. Excellent. Thank you. I, I agree. I think it's an exciting time for North America, actually, especially as we're looking to move supply chains closer to home, right? Um, and with that, then here, what? it's the final round, gentlemen. Um, so we'll start with Marin, and it's the same question for both of you. And that is, um, you can either talk about something that we didn't get to discuss that you would like to talk about and or what should we as investors be particularly focused on or what are your expectations of this market over, say, the next 24, 36 months? Well, look, mining will test everyone's te te testicular fortitude. Uh, it, it, you know, when I was the one of the founders and directors of Canada's third largest copper producer in my life, I never thought it would correct 90 percent and it did it twice. Uh, this game costs more then you budget, then the engineers designs. That's why you have to have a deposit that can absorb cost overruns, make sure the grades can absorb it and the metallurgy can absorb it. Meaning you really truly need world-class or else you're not going to attract the big money to lower your cost of capital. Um, you know, for years I've been writing about how bankers, when they pitch their deals, you know, how can you take a, put an MPV five, like a 5% discount on something in Chile or somewhere in Africa where the government keeps changing the rules on you as something in North America as a pari parsu of 5% discount, but yet your cost of capital is going to be 12 to 14%. So right off the bat, be super careful. And the bankers hate it when I say this, they absolutely hate it. But you're telling me that something in Africa where there's no infrastructure, there's the rule of law risks, um, you know, all these aspects. And then the bankers are pitching a MPV five when your cost of capital will be 12. And that's not even counting the discount for the, the infrastructure and geopolitical risk. So I believe moving forward now than any time in the last 40 years of mining, the political risk or the geopolitical risks are more important and they're not being discounted by the banks because the banks I published this 87% of the banking uh, fees and the investment capital raised 
is for projects in negative swap line nations. So of course the bankers don't want to talk about this because they don't want 87% of their cash flow to disappear. So the one thing I would leave everyone with is focus on the political risk of the jurisdiction that you're investing in. Very good advice. And Francis, same question to you. You know, you can talk about something that we didn't get to cover that you really wanted to talk about and cover and or, you know, what should we as investors be particularly focused on in the next 12 to 36 months in this sector? Sure. So, I mean, I think we touched on most of it, but um, in terms of the next 12 to 18 months, I think that because we've seen this big crash in the pricing, this is an interesting time to be looking at lithium, like Marin's been saying, and finding the right projects is key. We've gone through what are some of those key criteria. And for us at Lyft, we see that this is an opportunity. We have the capital to push our project forward, and we are just going to be focusing on de-risking the project from every different aspect. And when I say that, it's drilling to define the resource, the metallurgy of how we actually get the lithium out, and then looking at the permitting to actually put this into production as well. And this gives us a runway where you know a lot of people aren't really looking, and it's a great setup for the next big run in lithium that's going to come eventually. Excellent. Thank you. Again, thank you, gentlemen, for your time. I know your time is precious, and we really do appreciate it. I know the audience appreciates it. And with that, um, I will see everybody next Wednesday. Have a great week. Good luck with FOMC traders, and uh, we'll see you next week. And again, thank you again so much for your time. Thanks, everyone.